I was trying to explain something to them, but in the, because I've got a picture mind, and they just said, hold on, hold on. Then they, they don't have a picture mind like I do, so they had to go and look at the picture. So I'm like, okay, so for as far as it's possible, I want you to put on this picture mind and start imagining the following. Imagine for yourself, you've worked hard your whole life. You have reached a point where you have secured a home. You have got an entire family. You are happy. You have finally given in to the begging of the children and got a cute dog, maybe a cat, as long as it's not a fish, because, I mean, fish can't be cute. I know um, a while back my sister got herself a fish. I'm looking at it, I'm like, it's not cute. But you've, you've gotten finally this cute dog and still a puppy and it's running around and it's all cute. And you wake up in the morning and you look around you and you're just sitting like, wow, just look what I've finally accomplished. Worked so hard for it. To top it all off, this puppy looks at you with the cutest eyes. And the next moment, there's this huge bang. And you're like, what exploded? And you look outside of the window. They can come in. You look outside of the window and you're like, what is this vehicle's doing? And it's rockets being fired. And guns start shooting. And grenades are flying and you just see houses explode. And the next moment you hear people screaming. And then your worst fear happens. Somebody comes and breaks down your own door of this amazing house that you have finally acquired. And they are pointing guns at your family, at your children. And the next moment, the gun goes off. And you see either a child or your wife, or if you are the wife, your husband or your child, fall to the floor because they got shot. An image that is almost taken from what is happening in the Middle East at this very moment. But imagine yourself in that shoes from literally amazing happiness to immediate sorrow in men i know what will happen is the first thing that's going to come to mind is now i'm going to retaliate i'm going to fight back i'm going to be so brutal right now and i'm going to justify it with self-defense with women you might break down in sorrow fall to the floor sad over time you will become depressed if you were to live through this and as you turn and you look into the eyes of the guy that has just fired that weapon you just see darkness and at that moment you might just imagine for yourself that that is the future that now lies ahead for you as well imagine if not all of your family got killed but some got taken and you don't know whether they're going to be alive you don't know whether you're going to get them back you don't even know what's going to happen with them as they are taken by whoever attacks you. In that specific situation, in this scenario, there are so many things that are going to go through our minds. And I don't think we can really ever truly be prepared for a situation like that. No wonder we are seeing what we are seeing at the moment because it is just the human response. Now, if you've listened to... My dad's message during the week, I think it was on Tuesday, when he was explaining about retaliation, it, it, really, it really touched me. And the reason for it is, 
we don't think like that. We don't think in terms of everything that Scripture says we need to do, and we are completely different. Because if you were to put yourself in the shoes of somebody like this, the chances of retaliation, especially men, are so, so high. And the chances of doing the exact opposite and showing Christ-like behavior and turning the other cheek will be profound. It will literally be doing the impossible. If a man stands back and not retaliate after all of this, it is impossible. I am pretty sure most men, kind of put it like that, real men. Unfortunately, nowadays we do have men that, that are not protectors. Real men will be amazed if they were to be under such control of the Holy Spirit that they look at themselves and say, how on earth am I being, in, how is this self-control in my life this much? This is the picture I want us to have as we enter into this passage in the book of James. Because, like we've done last time, this first piece talks about trials. It talks about suffering. It talks about difficulties. It talks about when we go through various trials. Now, last time we looked at the story of Abraham and, can I say, the purpose of trials. And today we're going to be looking at essentially how do we act? How do we respond within trials how do we respond within suffering and difficulties now just once again a quick note the book of james is not about salvation when it speaks about works and when we look at certain things we need to do it is not in order to be saved it is now that you are saved do the following now that you are saved we can almost expect the following and we need to grow in the following. That is what we will call sanctification. So we need to grow in our sanctification. We need to grow to become more and more like Christ. And this is what we're going to be seeing in these few verses. Now, when I was preparing, um, there are five points that we can, can I say, extract from this passage. And it is impossible for me to uh, go through all five within an hour. In fact, I might have to cut even on one of them. I'm my dad's son after all, which means I can go too long. So this morning we're going to be looking at verses 12, uh, 2 to 12. And we're going to do it within this framework of the test of our faith. Remember, we've split the book of James up into these different tests. And this one is the test of our faith in our response to or the way in which we persevere, endure, or react towards trials, suffering, difficulties in our lives. And the key verse, and this is basically the verse we used last week, uh, not last week, last time in the, um, when, when we looked at Abraham, is basically verse 12. And within this key verse, we basically see uh, different things. And we see three key words. We see trials, we see tests, and we see India. And so what we're going to do is within this framework, we're going to take this specific passage and we're going to work from verse 2 all the way to verse 12. Now, if you have a Bible that has like these little titles at the top, you will see that it is not split up in that way. Um, so we're going to split up in this way. And the reason we basically work from verse 12 uh, to all the way to verse 12 is we see this pattern. We see that in verse 12, it talks about, blessed is the man who endures temptation. And so we see this these two key words. First, the word endure, and the second key word is the word temptation. 
and then for he has been approved oh for when he has been approved now in the ESV translation you will see um, if he stood the test right and so this is why we are theming this as the test of our endurance and the test of our endurance within trials within difficulties and sufferings and any form of temptation and in verse 2 it introduces this topic right so this is why we'll be looking at it through this theme okay now last week i i last time i explained i'm going to constantly accidentally say last week last time i explained that the word um, suffering or trials here is the word parasmos, which basically means anything that disrupts, anything that is the opposite of what is comfortable, anything that destroys our peace, anything that puts us to the test, anything that, can I say, breaks the pattern of our comforts, anything that breaks the pattern of joy, um, of our happiness, of our lives. So anything that is essentially opposite from what we essentially want is a trial. Now, in some people, there might be trials that we, I won't face as a trial, and then with you, it will be a trial, right? So sometimes trials may vary. But the thing is, James comes and he makes it very clear because he talks about various trials, a whole bunch of different tests, a whole bunch of different sufferings that we can go through. Now, when we speak about suffering, usually the first thing that we note is that we talk about the extremes. We speak usually about loss of life, and we speak about um, loss of job or loss of income. If you lose your house or something extreme. Now, various trials really do not always refer to the extremes. So I want you to keep in mind as we enter this passage that it could also be something small. Right, we're going to look at it a little bit later. This is just so you can understand where we're coming from. So when we speak about tests, when we speak about trials, keep in mind it might be something very, very small or it might be something very extreme. I like to put it like this, that the small trials that we endure is like the pretests to the exam that is to come. So that is what we're going to try and look at this morning. Now, when we look at this overall structure of the book, there's two main things that we need to Identify. The first thing is the fact that there are three main key points. The first one is we are speaking about trials here. We're speaking about difficulties. We're not speaking about when things go well. Right? And we're not speaking about sin. We're speaking about things that happen to you that are opposite of being comfortable, opposite to joy, something that breaks this pattern of peace. We are not going to speak about sin. We are also not going to speak about the temptation that leads to sin. Right. That James handles a little bit later on. The trials we talk about here is things that are not nice. That's the first key thing that we need to remember. The second one is it is a test of our faith. It is like what Abraham went through. It is something almost like what Job went through. It is God allowing things on our lives that in turn tests our faith. Now remember what we said about this word test. This word test is basically um, like what we'll do with gold. Something that when we check gold to see whether or not it is good, whether it's proper. But the test also means refining, which means making more pure, making better. So these tests has twofold purpose. The first purpose is to validate who we are. And the second purpose is 
to make us more. It's to make us better. It's to make us more pure gold. Um, I heard this interesting thing about diamonds. And it said, if you take two diamonds and they look identical to one another, one is a real diamond, one is a fake diamond, and you put them in water, it is very evident which one is real and which one is not. Because the real diamond starts shining and it is very clear. The other one is not shining. And so no matter how good it looks on the outside, the moment you put it underwater, suddenly it makes sense which one is the real diamond. And similar to us, if we are taken and taken through the fire like we have with the refining of gold, or when we are put under the water, our true color will show. Who we really are will show. And the more we suffer, the deeper we are underwater, the more bright our light is going to shine. And it's supposed to be like that. And so this is what this testing is all about. But then the third key word, and this is what we're going to be focusing on today, is the word endure, or being steadfast, standing firm and continuing in no matter what. See, it is easy for us to enter a trial strong. It is not always the case when we leave it. It is supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to enter it, can I say, more weak and exit it more strong. We enter a trial, can I say, half peer and then we are burned and scorched by the flame like we do with gold and then by the time we cool down and we are solid again we are peer and that is what this whole theme of the book of James is essentially about it is these tests of our faith to see how peer we are in faith and the test that we're looking at today is a test on how we endure and how do we persevere during these trials the second part that we see, and this is basically verse 2 to 11, is speaking about what we need to do. What are the elements, what are the, can I say, points, the criteria on how we endure these trials? Now, like I mentioned before, the problem is when I speak about trials, and I've heard it from multiple peoples before, when we speak about trials and we speak about suffering, always the extremes come into play. It's always, oh yeah, you know what, I'm going through this trial because I've lost my job, or this is extreme, or um, I've lost the house, or I'm under this emotional constraint, I'm under so much pressure at work. There are so many things that's going on in life that are extreme, and let's be clear, it is trials, it is difficult, it is not nice. Illness is not nice, loss is not good. Um, suffering overall is not nice, but so is hitting your thumb with a hammer. I mean, if you work and you're busy working and you just whack your thumb with a hammer, that hurts. It's discomfort. It's terrible. We look at it and like, okay, yeah, I've hurt my thumb with a hammer. That's a trial. And therefore, this pretest that we're going to go through is my thumb. It's something as simple as that. How do I react when I hit my thumb? Let's say you walk in this dark at night especially with load shedding. It's dark at night and you walk, you want to go to the um, bathroom or kitchen or whatever and you miss that furniture with like a centimeter and that small toe hits that corner. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. That's terrible. <laughs> That's not fun. That's a trial. How do you react within that trial? How do you respond to that trial? Because yes, you might look at your toe being stumped now as a small minor thing. But if we keep in mind what James is telling us is when we go through these various trials, when we go through these tests, 
there's a conclusion. It tells us that we going to we must let patience have its perfect work in us. We need to know that as we go through trials, it grows us in patience. It grows us in endurance, in steadfastness, so that we can continue going more and more and more. And so if I keep that in mind and I stump my toe against the corner and I think to myself, you know what? This is a trial that I'm undergoing. How should I react as a Christian? God, thank you that my toe isn't broken. Because tomorrow you might fall and break your leg or you break your back and you are can I say um, paralyzed for the rest of your life how will you react then see these pretests is a blessing from God it is something that God can I say allows on your way that we might experience as terrible trials but over the period the more we grow the more we go through trials and the more we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, the more we grow in sanctification that by the time, if it should happen, um, what's that word? Uh, may God forbid it ha ever happened to you. But should you end up like Johnny Erickson Tara, who breaks her back, you have gone through these processes of acknowledging God in your trials when it comes to a physical injury, that you can glorify him even in something extreme. But if you'd never had that mentality in the first place, when you stump your toe or when you hurt yourself with a hammer, then you're going to have to go from point one all the way through, and it's going to be much harder. See why even the small things is a blessing? I always think to myself of a story that I've, I've told it before. When... One day I was, I was looking, and this was something that just switched in my mind. I was looking for an item, and I can't find it. Now, when you're younger, and your dad tells you to go find something, and it is your responsibility to kind of know where it's supposed to be, and it is not there, you start stressing, especially if it's your dad's tools. Okay, with me, it was like that. If I have to go and find my dad's tools, I need to go and find my dad's tools. And if I take longer, and I don't know where it is, and I come back and I tell him I don't know where it is, and it was my responsibility to kind of know where it was, yeah, I'm in trouble, right. which is fair. It's 100% fair. And so I can remember one time I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm looking for this tool and I just can't find it. I just can't find it. And I'm starting to stress and I'm starting to panic. And my dad is sitting over there, but in my heart, in my inner being, I am trying to build up courage to just tell my dad, you know what, I can't find it. And one day... Uh, I, I can't remember if it was on that day my dad told me or if it was earlier. He told me in something as small as looking for a tool, just pray and ask God. So I sat there, I'm like, hey, God, please help me. I really can't find this thing and I need to find it. And you will not believe it. It was on the table. I was looking at like about 10 times. I know I'm a man that sometimes I don't look properly. Okay? I get it. But it's right there. All along, it's like God blinded my eyes to seeing the stool that's there all along at the place I remembered putting it. But when I went there, it wasn't there. But that taught me such a valuable lesson to such an extent that today, if I spend more than five minutes looking for an item, I immediately ask God, God, please just help me find it. And if I can't find it, then I will humble myself and say, okay, I will take the responsibility of misplacing the item because that was my fault. Right? Because we need to also deal with the response, oh, what's it, this, this, not side effects, the, um, 
outflow of our mistakes. We sometimes do that. But if I know for a fact it's important and I might not be at fault, then I ask God in something that small. But let's say you need to find something and it is small and you can't find it. Do you acknowledge God even in that time? Do you live in a life of prayer? Do you pray without ceasing? Do you fully rely on God all the time in something that mundane? Because the way in which you will act to, let's say, a missing item will over time determine how you will act if your house gets burglared. Because if you are materialistic now with something small, then you might be very materialistic later on when your house gets burglared. If you, can I say, flip out when you hit your thumb, or if you, can I say, accidentally drop a glass um, in the kitchen, how are you going to react later on if, let's say, you're in a car accident? Let's say the extreme case of dropping your glass in the kitchen, you lose an item. Later, you're in a car accident, but you've overcome this immediate anger. You've overcome this ball up of emotions. You get out of the vehicle, whether it's your fault or not. You go to the guy and you tell them, can we pray and thank God that no life was injured? Is that your response? Because who are we? We're Christians. We're different. The way in which we respond to trials needs to reflect Christ. And so, as we look at what James is telling us here, he is he's coming with this idea of testing us in big and small things. And he gives us these five, can I say, points. These five things that we need to keep in mind on how we respond during these trials. The first one is, I need to quickly do this. The first one is, we need to have a joyful attitude towards any and all trials. And this is much easier said than done. The second one is, we need to endure suffering with a mind that really understands what trials is all about. Thirdly, we need to endure suffering with a will that is willing to submit to God. We must have a submissive will. Fourthly, we need to endure the suffering with a heart that is really believing and having faith in God. And then fifthly, we need to endure suffering with a humble spirit. Sometimes we are so proud that it gets in the way in all our trials, no matter how big or how small. So the first one, which is probably where we're going to be ending today, is we need to look at our attitude. We need to have a joyful attitude. See what it says in verse 2. It says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials. Now the first word or the first phrase I think is very important for us to note is this word, my brethren. Firstly, we Christians. We are saved. We have the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that enables us, that strengthens us, that helps us go through everything. But the second thing that I want us to note is this misconception that as Christians, we don't go through difficulties. We don't go through trials. We don't go through um, tribulations. We don't go through any form of suffering. That's not correct. 
See, there's this deception out in the world that now that I'm a Christian, why, why should I endure this type of suffering? Why should I go through this kind of trial? Why should I endure these difficulties in life? God, I'm your child. No. See, that, that's a deception. Jesus made it very clear in John 15. It says, the world hated him first, and therefore he will hate us. John 16, verse 33, tells us the same thing. It says, I have told you these things so that you may, um, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. You will have difficulties. You will suffer. And it doesn't matter what trial you go through. There's various forms of suffering. Christians in the Middle East goes through persecution where their lives are at risk. In South Africa, it's not the same. We go through a different kind of trial. One thing is for sure, we will go through these extreme trials. But the second, second thing that's important is we will go through trials. Just because we are Christian doesn't mean we're exempt of difficulties. The thing is, how we respond to that needs to be in the submission to God. Understanding God, you are in control. Almost saying what Jesus said when he was um, praying and he was asking God, God, if it be like, well, take this cup away from me. I mean, he's praying in so much agony, knowing what he's going to go through, that his sweat becomes blood. We haven't had that type of stress just yet. But then Jesus goes and he finishes it with the words, not my will be done, but thy will be done. That's amazing. That is the, the level of sanctification that we need to reach. That no matter what trial we go through, we can ask God to remove it but we submit to his will. And so James comes with his introduction and he just lays it on the table and immediately starts. He says, my brethren, count it. Consider it all joy. Firstly, when we look at this word, consider it. And if we really dig into it, it's deep. It's profound. Firstly, we see, when we look at the meaning, it's basically... We take in. In the first sense, we take the situation. We start to evaluate this situation. James is telling us that when we are entering this trial, we mustn't just sit there. We mustn't just look at this and like, oh, it's so difficult. Fall into depression, get all sad and whatever. No, he says, let's start evaluating this situation. Consider it. Evaluate what is going on. And let's compare it to something. And we're going to see what we're going to compare it to later on. He says, uh, let me just see where I'm at my papers. Oh, and then secondly, the first thing that we see is that we need to evaluate it. And then secondly, we see that we need to look forward. It's think ahead. Don't, don't just look at your situation as it is right now. Look forward. You see, during this time with my dad as well, we consistently speak about this. And one of the things that just keeps standing out is if we look year and now our trials gets the best of us if we look at what's happening to us right now our emotions sometimes gets the best of us our own minds can sometimes get the best of us if you're an overthinker you're going to think deep and you're going to think a lot and it's going to start getting the best of you why because you're looking at things now you're looking at the situation that you're in right now you're looking at the trial that you're in right now and the difficulty that you're in right now James comes and he says, no, don't do that. Look ahead. 
think forward. Why do we look at usually if we tell people look forward? Oh no, I'm going to get out of this trial. Oh no, things are going to get better. What if it doesn't? That is the harsh reality. Things doesn't always get better. Don't always get better. Things can get worse. Let's take a story. You're sitting there and you're at home and at least, let's say your one kid was spared. The one is taken away. Your wife was killed in your own house. Can things get better? Yes, absolutely. But it could get worse as well. You can get shot and you have to go to hospital and you're battling infection and you're sitting there with now your family is gone, your house that you've worked for is gone, and now your own body is turning against you and you are suffering even more. That's not getting better. That is the reality that we have in this world. Things do not always get better. But that's not what James is telling us. He's not saying, don't worry, things are going to get better. He's telling us in verse 12, blessed is the man that endures these trials. Why? Because he's going to get the crown of life. What is the crown of life? It's eternal life. So when you go through a trial, what do we do? We look at the situation. We're going to get there later and we're going to see where wisdom plays a role in it. But then what we do is we think ahead. We say, God, thank you for this current trial. Because I am going to exit this stronger in my um, spiritual walk with you. More sanctified in my spiritual walk with you. I am going to grow more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. I'm going to glorify you no matter what the outcome. I'm going to glorify you more. Remember what Abraham did? What did he do? He looked at his situation. It didn't make sense to him. Okay? It doesn't sometimes make sense to us either. It didn't make sense to him. But what did he do? He looked at it. He said, okay, God asked me to go and kill my own son. The one that I love. Okay, God told me it. So, okay, God allowed this to come in my life. It doesn't make sense, but I'm going to do it anyways. But then he looked ahead. That's what Hebrews tells us. And he says, that he was willing to go and kill his own son. Because if it comes to this, God made a promise. God's going to keep that promise. Which means even if he kills his son, I can say we are going to come back because God is capable of even raising my son from the dead because he will keep his promises. The promises that we sometimes hold on to is these false promises that we find in the book of Jeremiah that people so easily quote out of context. The Lord's got a plan for you. Plans to do what? Prosper you and to give you this. And it sounds so good and makes us emotionally so well. But why isn't it then happening all the time? No, because he was speaking to Israel. This is not what God is saying. He doesn't say you are going to suddenly start prospering. He says, no, if you endure this trial and if you consider it all joy, when you go through this trial and you look ahead, you're going to notice that you're going to look at eternal life. Now we can bring in, because remember, the book of James refers back to the Sermon on the Mount quite a bit. And verse 12 kind of also shows it to us because it's a beatitude, in essence. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we read something that's amazing and talks about eternal rewards. It is when we live on this earth and we have an eternal-minded uh, mind or eternal focus, this trial that I'm going to go through I can count it. I can consider it joy because when I leave it, when I exit this trial, I have stored up rewards in heaven. When I go through this trial and this difficult time, 
I have an eternal life that waits for me. An eternal life where there's no more suffering, where there's no more pain, where there is no more of the things that I'm going through. So let's go through these temporal trials because I've got a mind of an eternity with God. My mind is focused on this eternity where my life is going to be in His presence is so amazing that I cannot even imagine it. And so I can even face death. I can even face a trial to such an extent that I am about to die with no fear. We can be like how Stephen was when he looked up and he said, I can see the heavens open. We can be joyful in what is considered the most scary thing on earth, death. Why? Because we know where it's heading. We think ahead. We think forward. We don't think now. So he says, consider it joy. But he doesn't stop um, just there. He actually continues and he says, uh, now I have to skip quite a bit. <coughs> he says we need to consider not just think ahead, but we need to consider it. We must think ahead and, and evaluate it as all joy. Now a while back, my dad and I we were speaking about this and I said it's interesting that, that this verse also means that we can have happiness in sorrow. And at that stage I had no idea how to explain it and so we were discussing it um, a bit. And later on I heard of a term which I can't remember at the moment, it's too big, I didn't write it down. Where you can be both happy and very sad at the same time. That is when you look back at a photo of somebody that you've loved dearly, that has passed away. Where you sorrow that they've passed away, but very happy because you remember all of the good times. It's an emotion that we can't really explain. And in a sense, this is what it's speaking about. It's speaking about this idea that I am happy because I know where it's going. I am joyful because I know where it's going. And in my attitude, I can rejoice, like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians says. As a prisoner, he says that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. The Apostle Paul could rejoice being imprisoned. He was beaten. He was going through a lot of physical suffering. Why could he rejoice in this? I don't think he was saying, yeah, happy, I got a headache. No, but he was looking forward. He was seeing that Christ is being proclaimed. And in that he rejoiced. And this is what James is telling us. Consider it all joy when you fall into these various trials. Look at everything. Don't just look at it and say, okay, I can rejoice in this little piece right here. Like, let's say, for instance, I had the ability to maybe preach the gospel and that's about it and then I'm happy. No. This word all actually means all. And not just in all things, but consider it in its completeness as joy. This is the difficult one to think about because we can sometimes consider some things as joy. 
okay, I, I can see that in this specific aspect of my current trial, God is going to work in me. No. All of my trial, God works in. All of my trial is going to lead me into the image and likeness of Christ. All of it is going to grow me in endurance. All of it is going to lead up to verse 12 that says, Blessed is that man that endures these trials, these tests, who stood the test, who has been approved. He hasn't failed for his is that crown of life. It's a blessing. It is something amazing that we can look forward to. How do we endure? We look forward. We consider what I'm going through as something that is going to lead me into this perfect state, into this complete state. How we see later in the verse. How do we count it all joy? We must have this attitude like the Apostle Paul had. In Second um, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I am content. He doesn't care about anything else. He says, I'm content. I'm happy with what I have. And then he mentioned with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, Then I'm strong. He knew that when he's at his weakest, then he's at his strongest in Christ. Then he's at the point where he really grows, where he really gets closer to God. We need to have this mindset, this attitude of contentment. Be happy with where you're at. Count it joy. Have this forward-thinking uh, mentality, an attitude that praises God. Job went through this absolutely insane trial. He went through this difficulty that I'm pretty sure we don't want to go through. And not once did he curse God. His wife told him to. His friends was nagging him saying, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning. And he said, but I'm not. And so he's going through all of those difficulties. And it's important to note at this point, it's something that God allowed right it's not oh okay if i go through trials now satan is doing it no 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 we need to think and keep in mind god's allowing this so job is going through all of these things and he has every right in this world to essentially can i say get either mad at god get sad um or whatever but no he doesn't he never turns against god he never um, backs down yes he ends up in ashes and he and he asked God, what is going on? But never did he turn against God. He continuously um, kept going. And we read in chapter 23, verse 10, Job said, But he knows the way I take when he has tested me. And then he says these words, and this is what we look forward to. I shall come forth as gold. See, when Job went through all of those difficulties, even at the point where he's sitting there in sackcloth with scraping the sores off his body, he sits there and he says, you know what? I know God knows where I'm going. God knows what he's doing. God knows why he's testing me. Because when I go through this, I'm going to be as gold. 
How do we endure trials? Have that mindset. Know that this current trial, you can count as joy. You can rejoice in it. You can be happy. Why? Because when you go through it with this correct mindset, you're going to end up as gold. You're going to be so valuable. You have an eternal thing to look forward to. You are going to shine in this world. You're going to be so different that God's going to be glorified through your life. Imagine back in that story, if you're sitting there and this guy is pointing the gun at you, ready to pull the trigger, and you just look at him and you tell him, you know what? I forgive you right here, right now, because God first forgave me. And that you know that Christ died for your sins that you can um, be saved because He loves you. Instead of jumping up in anger and frustration and go and do everything in your power to defeat this guy that you're so mad about. If you come in a car accident in South Africa, do you get out of the vehicle and start screaming and shouting? Or do you go and ask this person, are you okay? Thank God that he has kept us safe. Do you know him? Can we, can we pray together? Can I pray for you? Are you a light in this dark world in your trial? Because if you are not yet, later on if you have this mindset, this attitude of rejoicing, you're going to get out there and you, people will be like, why is he not like everyone else? There's so many testimonies of these people that have been witnesses at the point of death. That people now, I've, I've heard some of these they look back and they're like, how on earth is that possible? It's because they had the right attitude. Our, our test here is how do we endure these trials? How do we, how, how do, sanctified are you? Test yourself. How do you react and how do you respond to trials in your life? Whether it is a big trial or whether it's something small. Are you looking at these small trials to the extent of stubbing your toe, maybe getting a small paper cut within a biblical worldview, looking at that minor thing and saying, God, use this trial right now that I can gain wisdom from it. You see this later, and we're not going to get it today. Help me that within this trial that I can grow more in my sanctification. Help me that I can get refined as gold have that mentality, but because by the time you have to endure an extreme, you are way more prepared. But at the same time, know this as well, that if you are currently in some trial, no matter how extreme, how sad, how sorrowful, whether you are falling in a depression state, whether you are angry and filled with hatred, you need to know that we need to look at the eternal rewards. Keep in mind that we need to look forward. What can you do right now that glorifies God? We know that scripture tells us, forgive. If you're in an angry, hateful state and somebody has done something against you to such an extent that it is building up inside of you and it feels like it's eating you from inside, forgive. It's as simple as that. If you are in a depressed state of something that is sad, lay it in the feet of Jesus. Do what scripture says. The church is here. We have a fellowship that we're supposed to edify one another. We need to edify those who are sad amongst us. But your responsibility 
is to count the joy, consider the end, look forward, so looking at your current state and says, this is not where I'm going to be. I am not going to stay here. I'm going to look forward. How can I accomplish that? We have the church. We have God's word. There are so many things that we can gain when it comes to our trials through scripture. And James tells us if we don't know how to do it, just ask God. It's as easy as that. If you don't have the wisdom to go through this, ask of him who has all wisdom. We're going to get there later, but he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold anything against you. If you have reached a point where you are in a trial so deep that you're almost mad at God and you're angry at God, whether it's extreme or whether it's not extreme, it's a normal human outflow. God is not going to hold it against you if you come to Him and ask Him for wisdom. He says He's going to give wisdom liberally and without reproach. If you're looking at your current situation and you cannot consider it joy and you're saying, it's like, God, how can I consider it joy? Because look at who I am. And just remember who Christ is. God looks at you through the lens of Christ. Your life is not what God sees. God sees Christ and only Christ. We so easily make the mistake in thinking that my actions has got any pull with God. No. It's because of what Christ has done. Why can we be joyful in our current situation despite what we've done in the past? What we do is we look up. We say, God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Put your faith completely in him knowing that God looks at Christ and then Christ has sent His um, Spirit that indwells us, that helps us, that guides us, gives us the wisdom that we need. That's how we rejoice in it. It's contrary to what the world says. It's not amazing psychological self-help tricks. It is submitting to God and saying, God, I know your promises are true. Understanding that, God, you have this eternal life ahead me i will receive the crown of life and giving it all to him and we can rejoice and filled with joy because of what we give him because of what he has given us i give him my whole life and he has given me eternal life we must i i remember i spoke with somebody i can't remember who it was and, and we concluded saying we must just reach a point where we really, truly just die to self because we hold on to ourselves way too much. We consider it joy. We consider it all joy because of what Christ has done for us and who God is. Keeping in mind that we are to glorify God in the end and we're going to become more pure like gold as we go through this trial. It's something we can rejoice about. Let's close and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this amazing grace that you have given us that we can know that we are your children. Thank you that we can have this eternal hope that you have given us. Thank you that we can put all our sorrows, all our shames, Father, every little trial that we go through, we can just place it by your feet. 
Thank you that we can count the joy knowing that you will work in us, that you will refine us as gold, and that in the end, Father, we will glorify your holy name more and more. What a privilege it is to live a life that glorifies you. What an amazing gift it is to know that we live a life that is pleasing to you, the almighty God, the creator God, the God that has death, life and death in his hands, the God who will pour out his judgment on this world. But Father, for us, we can hold on to this amazing eternal life with you. That we do not have to fear this judgment. We do not have to fear eternal death because we have eternal life. And that we will be crowned with it in your presence. And that we will be with you forever and ever. Father, it is so amazing to look forward. It is so amazing to consider it in everything that we go through. Help each and every one of us to understand how small our trials are compared to what is waiting for us. Father, that we might not just joy in our trials and rejoice in our trials, but Father, that through it, that we might glorify you and that we will be a witness to you through our lives, through everything that we go through. Thank you that we can lay it at your feet. Thank you that we can know that you listen and that you hear us. And thank you even more so that you have promised in your word and that we can know that you stick to your promises and that you never, ever turn from your word. That if we pray and ask for wisdom, that you will give it to us. If we need to know what we need to do, how we need to live, and how we need to endure our current trials, Father, that you will give us the joy and that you will give us the way out. Thank you that you have promised this to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.